the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Welcome to all you giants. It's episode number 18. I'm going to dive straight into this one. It's a long episode, but for good reason. It's partly deep partly entertaining and 100% real. Before we dive into it, I'd like to introduce you to an app that for me has set the standard for mobile photography. If you're looking to maximize your Apple camera, an app that's easy to use, intuitive, and more importantly, they give you better pictures that are simple to edit, you've got to check out Pro Camera. To date, it's had a four and a half out of five star rating from over 800 reviews on the App Store. The New York Times says the high-end crowd swears by it. National Geographic chose it as one of eight must-have travel apps. Forbes selected it as one of the best iPhone camera apps in 2014 and said it provides nearly any camera feature you could need and shoots HD video. The thing I love about Pro Camera the most is it allows you to go beyond the limits of the iPhone hardware. So for instance, Vivid HDR is a feature with wider dynamic range than iPhone's default app. And uh, Low Light Plus is also an amazing feature that has hooked me in to capture photos in low light, which hasn't been possible in the past. I've personally had a heap of photos wasted because the lighting was absolutely terrible. So I really encourage you to check this out, guys. It's fast, simple, professional. Pro Camera is pretty much like having a photo, video, and editing studio with state-of-the-art technology in your pocket. Check it out by heading to giantthinkers.com slash ProCamera. It's priced at just under $5 USD with in-app purchases from $1 to $3. It will honestly pay itself off for you and raise the game in your mobile photography. Once again, download it at giantthinkers.com slash ProCamera. Uh, All right, guys, let's get this party started. This man needs no introduction, but if by chance you haven't heard of him, he is a world-renowned photographer, CEO, and co-founder of Creative Live. It's no other than Chase Jarvis. The one and only Chase Jarvis. Welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. It is an absolute honor to have you on the show. Ram, the pleasure's mine, man. Thank you very much for having me. Mate, I'm, I'm so pumped. Um, now, I usually start off with a little icebreaker question, although not much ice has to be broken here. Um, in your opinion, what do you think makes the world go around? Oh, wow. Uh, I have done zero preparation for this because <laughs> I know that like, that's where the best stuff comes from. And then you just throw that zinger right out the gate. My, um, I think it's human connection. Human connection. They're, yeah, they're... Uh, we're on this planet for a million reasons of which we know not, but at the core, I feel like there's a, you know, Maslow's hierarchy or Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's all, all those things, which I think play into it. And ultimately just feeling a sense of, uh, of connection yeah. is, uh, is what makes the world go around. And whether we get that from face-to-face interaction or in many ways, the, the internet, for example, has connected us and created 
global economies, uh, whether that's the creative economy, the sharing economy, um, and, and ultimately sort of connectedness is uh, something that that's what's what makes it go round for me. Mate, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm, uh, I, w- I wasn't sure if you were going to go the, uh, the, the food route, you know, cheese and wine makes the world go round. Or, <laughs> or I'm sushi. Sure you've had a host. Yeah, sushi. Whoa, that's a tough one. That's up there. I love it, mate. That's really I think, cool. Uh, human, and I, I'm not trying to sort of, I don't want to be overly highfalutin, but I feel like, you know, whether it's the desire to be loved or welcomed or valued or appreciated, recognized, all of that, I think, rolls up to, to connected and, uh, they're, you know, connected in and of itself means a lot of different things, but human connection, I think is, is, uh, part of it all. Yeah. I think that really uh, sets the foundation for uh, a lot of the, the questions that I have, uh, following on, uh, from that in this interview. So that's really cool. I'm, I'm really glad that you, uh, you set that in context. Um, now where would you say your expertise lies? Wow. God, there's no softballs coming from you. It's just all <laughs> hard hitting right out of the gate. Just pitching the second one straight yeah, in there. No, um, you can have multiple expertise, which I believe yeah. is the case. I think my expertise lies in the ability to learn quickly. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that uh, the way I leverage that expertise is in... Um, you know, I think the there's an interesting um, phenomenon that's emerging. You know, I've talked about it before that there were all more and more hyphenated. You know, how we describe ourselves, what we think, what we do. You know, our parents, for example, have had one job. We will have five, and the next generation will have five jobs at the same time. The same is true for um, I think for how we certainly how uh, I think of myself as, as multifaceted. And, um, you know, I was told from an early age that in order to be great at something, you have to dedicate your whole life to it. And I don't actually, I don't intend to disparage that, but I think there's a sweet spot and that we can learn to be good at a lot of things. And at the core of learning how to be great at a lot of things is learning. Hmm. And I think I built a career for myself as a photographer on that very raw basis of something I'm pursuing that deep personal passion. And in the process of doing that, I basically taught myself or learned how to learn. Hmm. And it's in this sort of next chapter where I'm trying to take that and apply it more broadly and learn how to be good at things I wasn't good before and take, you know, challenge myself, put myself out there, take risks in order to try and become um, good at, at, at other things outside of just photography, like entrepreneurship and the ability to, listen and, and try and, um, I don't know, try and create opportunity for other people to think, you know, you know, that's the one negative about uh, being an independent artist in order to get anywhere you really, it's very, there's a lot of ego baked into that. So I'm trying to learn how to sort of uncook that ego and put it into things that would, you know, benefit a larger cross section of the world than, than just me. So, yeah. uh, there you go. I think that's my, yeah, that's, that's great. my, uh, my skill is the ability to learn quickly and, and adapt that because at the core of learning is there's just a handful of principles, you know, it's, 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 uh, look at what other people who have done this before have done and deconstruct their work. You know, what kind of community can you build around these, these, these new passions or area of curiosity or, or, uh, adventure. And, you know, that applies to anything. And I'm, I'm doing that with entrepreneurship. 
and trying to build Creative Live into you know a global force. And yeah, I think that'd be my that'd be my go to answer right there. Yeah, I mean, uh, so many things going through my head as you were saying that. You know, I could totally relate, and it's something that I advocate to a lot of people um, along the, those exact same lines. You know, you can no longer be a, a designer or a creative that just visually executes for example you you must be a uh, problem solver and equally a business thinker um, and you know so many other hats that you have to wear in order to survive and thrive in that space doing what you love which um, you know I know that you speak a lot about on um, Chase Jarvis Raw CJ Raw uh, your YouTube channel um, and there opens up this whole other bag of of uh, skills that we need to tap into including time management um, you know how how do we utilize our time because we all have the same amount of time yeah it's, you know? a, it's a very very finite resource for everyone yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and, can, and yeah, yeah, let me let me let me dovetail off that Go for ahead. a second. And and I think um, everything that you just said is true. And, and if I, you know, I'm holding up a mirror and saying, well, you know, why are, why if that's the case, why am I doing the things I'm doing? And you know, at the core of uh, you know my my primary focus right now is building Creative Live, and it's not ironic that I think that a human connection is critical, and b that you know. Uh, my superpower is, is lifelong learning. And that has actually been what's made most of my career, both the successes and the failures possible. And if you look at what creative live is at its core, it's, you know, people coming together to create that for millions of people around the world, the ability to learn new skills and prepare us for a future that's going to be very different than the one that we've been existing in. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I guess they say you can only connect the dots looking backwards. So it, it makes it. sense to me. I hope it connects with the readers or the listeners here. Yeah, unreal. So um, we'll, we will uh, talk to uh, everything you're doing now in a minute, but uh, can you tell us uh, a little about your childhood and how you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> you're going there. All right. Let me, uh, I wish there was my uh, psychiatrist chair uh, <laughs> my feet up here. Um, let's see a couple of... So that we know uh, that, you know, just to make sure that you're human. Oh God. Right. I'm telling you, man, my, <laughs> I, I grew up, um, very middle class. I wouldn't say lower middle class. I'd say just straight up blue collar middle class. My dad was a cop. My mom was a, an admin at a biotech company. Um, I'm an only child. And I think for some people that means spoiled, but you know, when you grow up very, very middle class, it didn't mean spoiled for me at all. It meant, um, that, you know, I had to entertain myself uh, I had to sit at the, uh, there was no kids table because I was the only kid. So I had to, you know, sit and talk with adults. My parents treated me, you know, like a grown up from a very early age. Um, and on the sort of, oh, I guess on the creative side, like I had to have a big imagination because I wouldn't like I had a, you know, a large family to um, to goof off with. You know, I, I grew up in a in a middle class neighborhood and there were other kids for sure. But I remember spending a lot of time in my own head imagining and you know, playing in the, in the woods outside our house or in the backyard with a, with a block of wood is how I've described it in the past. But, and I think that was really influential. I also think, although we, you know, when I say middle-class, I, I mean, I had, you know, upside down Nikes Hmm. and Adidas with four stripes. I mean, my, my house was probably, I think the the thermometer might kept, my mom kept the house at, uh, 
at like, I don't know, 57 or 60 uh, Fahrenheit, which Celsius, it's what is that, uh, uh, 15 or something like that. Um, It kept it pretty cold. (laughs) She's like, hey, if you're cold, you put on a sweatshirt, man. We're going to, we're saving, you know, whatever, 20 bucks a month on our heating bill. Uh, But so there was that sort of uh, frugality and, uh, you know, something that I've learned to really appreciate, which is grit. I was raised with, with grit. And yet, uh, you know, every year from a reasonably young age, we would take one vacation and that vacation was overseas. So um, Hmm. it was usually to Europe um, and it was very often to get me a dose uh, of different culture and a reminder that the world is a big place and that what I get to experience in, you know, largely middle-class suburbia in the U.S., isn't necessarily a reflection of the rest of the world. So hmm. I'm really grateful for for that from my parents, and um, I'm still close to them to this day. They they uh, they're they've been awesome all along. But it was a I think it was really um, normal childhood. I hmm. think. Cool. And you uh, grew up in was it Seattle? You grew up in? Yeah, or? yeah, okay. yeah. I grew grew up in Seattle, born and raised uh, in Seattle. I had I went to college on a soccer scholarship um, down in Southern California at San Diego State, which was uh, at the oh, time was one of the okay. top ten soccer schools in the country. And I uh, went to the national championship uh, the year before I went there, so it was a highly regarded school. I was on the Olympic development team, and I had a pretty solid path toward a career in professional soccer. And you know, it was one of the things that I think was a marker for me is uh, as a young adult starting to realize that you know that everyone else has plans for you. <laughs> and if you don't make your own plans, everyone else's plans are going to become your plans. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so dropping out of various things and quitting things to pursue my passion, I, I've, you know, frankly, I struggled to overcome a lot of that pressure and those hurdles. And, and again, fully acknowledging that I'm from, you know, middle-class, uh, relatively privileged suburbia, and, you know, trying to acknowledge certainly at this point in my life, looking back, saying, wow, if it was that hard for me to overcome everyone, everyone's expectations, what if you came from more disadvantaged, um, you know, households or, or socioeconomic backgrounds, it would even be that much harder. And, and that's one of the things that I'm trying to talk about a lot right now in various podcasts and, um, you know, speaking gigs and whatnot is that, you know, you don't have to have, you know, on, on both sides of the uh, the coin here, you don't have to have some sort of remarkable, brutal childhood to be able to be a great artist. There's so many things that we are all struggling with. And, you know, the flip side is that uh, if you come from sort of a a lack of privilege or you come from, um, uh, there's there's a great story inside of all of us ultimately. Hmm. And that story, that individuality um, in, in the particular, like your individual particular story lies universal messages. And that's, you know, when we're making art, those are the things that, that make a resonant message and something that connects with all of us. So, you know, there's, there's something there for everyone to be talking about and there's not enough, there's not no shortness of material to, to create art around. So, yeah, that's cool. So you gave us some clues there, um, you know, on how you, I guess, built some of your values there, you know, with, uh, whether it be culturally or, um, gratefulness, um, 
you know, with your folks, um, not putting on the heat when it was cold or, um, <laughs> you, you know, you traveling and then you playing sport, which is, you know, I can definitely resonate with the importance of, um, health and fitness. Um, so with, with that, how did you, cause I can almost hear the listeners thinking, um, about this area of, well, how did you get to where you are now? Like, how, how did you, was, well, what was the first sort of foundation step that took you from those early years in high school to after high school? Um, because correct, correct me if I'm mistaken here, you actually completed not only your bachelor's degree, but a master's. Is that correct? Basically I, a master's equivalency. So I never right. did the, uh, the final paper that would give you that, but I was in a PhD program actually. So this is oh wow, talk about being a loser, or a quitter. <laughs> what, what I what I was in advanced education is basically uh, the, the the shortest version I can tell you is that when, at least in in the world that I grew up in, um, if you were smart and you're you know neither of my parents, they both went to college or community college very very sporadically and never completed it, and then so that was an aspiration for them. Hmm. Um, even though you find out that that's ultimately about your parents and and probably not about you, but there was a, a either pre- a pressure from a familial standpoint or from cultural to go to college and uh, and if you're say reasonably smart and or reasonably hardworking, it was like oh why don't you go be successful, be a doctor or a lawyer or something. So most of my sort of ethos and why I am what I am today it came from realizing that I as I said earlier, alluded to like the world has plans for you and, and you need to decide if those line up with your plans. And, and you know, I didn't know better and I have still a, a very stubborn, like reasonably type A person. And I, I feel like I'm an independent thinker, but even all that pressure is like, oh, go to medical school. So I started, I did all of that preparation and, and as an undergrad going to San Diego state while I was playing soccer is prepared for medical school, did all the MCATs. Um, you know, I got a degree in philosophy in the process. I got a minored in biology, all this <laughs> shit to do what everybody else wanted me to do. And then when you start realizing as a young adult that, you know what, I've got to write my own script that sort of, um, there is a little bit, an undercurrent of, uh, not trusting the system and wanting to, to, you know, what I alluded to earlier, write my own script that turned me, um, towards the things that were speaking to me my whole time as I was growing up, which is creativity, um, the fusion, you know, you mentioned, or we have mentioned, I guess, all these different things, like there's the sports, there's the grit, um, there's culture. And if you look at what I ended up wanting to be, it was someone who was making those things through making art. So my photography, for example, um, it combined sport, especially at an early age, my, my early pictures were all about action sports. So skate, surf, snow, um, snowboarding, um, you know, basically punk rock music and dirtbag travel. And, mm. uh, there's sort of an ethos baked into there. And that was very different than what everybody else had planned. So my, my early, um, work, my early, I guess, foray into my career was very much trying to reconcile all these different parts of my life. And what I did is in a very childish sort of brutal way, is just, I mashed them all together. Like, sweet. I like music. I like skateboarding. I like creating. Uh, I'm too impatient. I actually had a painting studio for some time. I had a garage full of <laughs> oil paints all over the place. It's like, that's too slow and too boring and too bougie. 
it just doesn't feel like me. And I stated, started taking pictures as, you know, a way to be able to express myself really, really quickly. And there's a little bit of serendipity in that my, uh, um, right at the end of college, like a, a number of days before I was graduating, my grandfather, um, he passed away very, very unexpectedly. And, um, the, of course it was tragic. Uh, and the flip side or the silver lining of that cloud was that he, he was an avid photographer and, and he had willed me his cameras. So there I am, you know, just sort of having done the school shit that everybody else wanted me to do. I'm quite certain I'm going to strike out in a different path, but I'm not really telling anyone. And my grandfather <laughs> passes away mm. and I'm boom, I'm given these cameras. And, um, so I did what any good, uh, you know, what would I be then? 20 something, 21 year old. And I packed up all my stuff and I went and walked the earth. That's cool, like, man. Yeah. And, and with my then girlfriend, now wife, Kate, and, and we moved to Europe and lived out of a bag for six months and I taught myself how to be a photographer. So all, you know, it's, it's, it sounds, um, it sounds organized <laughs> when I'm talking about it, but really it's, it was very chaos. much about, yeah, it's chaos and it's <laughs> following your gut and that gut is not always, um, you know, it's messy and, um, but there's certainly there's clarity in there if you listen closely enough and, you know, that would be a recommended takeaway for folks who are listening is that, you know, the answers of what you want to be and do. And, and if you don't, you need to get into more adventures and listen to that voice inside you. Cause that's the thing that's been trained out of us from a very young age is a, our creativity, but B our ability to listen to our, you know, deepest dreams and passions because we've been fooled into thinking that we have to, you know, go get a nine to five job. And that's just, right. That's just not the way it, the yeah. world works. 100%. I think, um, you know, that's, that's what I really, uh, wanted to hear about more in terms of, uh, the pivot that you made from that whole industry of, of studying, um, you know, uh, that area of, of medicine in a way. And, and, you know, all these other, um, you know, areas that are completely opposite <laughs> to, uh, what you have become and known, um, are known for, um, in particular photography. Sure. And, um, I think that's really important, um, for people to, to realize and to, to kind of hear whether it be from you or the other, um, creative, um, people that, um, a lot of people admire, um, you, you know, you test out the water, you get out there, you test it out, you explore, you be curious and you, um, you know, there are no rules as such. It's really finding what calls to you because you don't really know until you've, you've, um, experienced a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, the title of your podcast is giant thinkers, right? And I don't think, uh, giant thinking usually doesn't happen in a vacuum, you know, it, it. It, it requires this sort of striking out sometimes against something, um, oftentimes for something. Um, and to be clear, all the stuff that, that we were talking about earlier that you just alluded to, it was like a pivot from this other stuff. And to be clear, I never pivoted. I, it, my soul was always pointing to North, mm. but all of this other shit was dragging me around and these, this other shit being things that other people wanted for me. So I was fooling myself and, and I think poorly fooling everybody else around me. Although whilst, you know, still getting good grades and making all that stuff possible, that's the part that when I look back, if I could change anything, it's really 
just, you know, more about listening to who you are at your core and photographer. It's like been stamped on my heart for, you know, uh, since I was eight or something like that. I've got a lot of pictures of me, you know, interacting with cameras and stuff from an early age and capturing moments, you know, back in the days of film and flash cubes and all kinds of shit from the seventies yeah. and eighties. Um, but you know, it wasn't really a pivot. I was always under there, but I was living some other people's lives. And I don't think it's all that common or uncommon. I think, you know, we're all figuring it out. And, you know, that's another message is if, if the last thing I want to do in this podcast is come across as having all my shit figured out all the time, hmm. you know, people are constantly comparing your highlight, you know, or your real life to the highlight reels of others through social, social media and pictures and all that stuff. And that's just not the way it is. So what, what would you say to the fears that most of the, most people face, including myself, um, as, especially as I was um, starting out um, 12 years ago, what, what would you say to the fears of people in particular uh, security? You know, this whole, this idea of, um, you know, pursuing other, um, other areas, um, that are traditional, such as whether it be being a lawyer or being an accountant or being, um, a doctor, what, what would you say to people who are sort of fighting against that, um, in terms of security, uh, financially or whatnot, you know, I think that's a really big decision maker in people. Um, and for me, it was really the, the, the transition from uh, realizing that the, the idea of the, you know, the pain of uh, the pain of remaining the same was, was, you know, going to be greater than the pain of changing. And I hit that point um, where I just had to find a way and make it work, um, and, you know, and kind of go on that endeavor. Um, yep for you, what do you, what do you recommend to people? Because you, you had some triggers there. Yeah. I've made many, many of those transitions and I 100% agree. I think it's a, it is bordering on catastrophic, uh, (laughs) and I would say an, an an epidemic proportions of people who are not sort of serving their inner soul. Hmm. Um, and I want to start off by acknowledging that the people, there are real hurdles to this stuff. As I said earlier, there's social economic, there's opportunity, there's privilege, there's all these things. Um, at the core of what I, you know, my, my way of, uh, of thinking about this stuff, I can't possibly acknowledge all of those things. Um, but I want to, I want to acknowledge that they're real. Um, but at the core of my philosophy is that there are a handful of stories that we tell ourselves And those stories are stories that we picked up from our parents and from the media and from our teachers and peers. And this sort of like, it's, it's like you have a a wall and people are always writing on your wall, telling you what's possible and they're programming you with messages and those messages of safety and security and, uh, stability and finance and, you know, the, the, um, career, what your career should look like, who you should be and become and date and marry and all those like that's sort of what I was alluding to when I was saying oh, people have plans for you and what those the, the tragedy of some of those plans is that 
when we start to use those to write our own story and our write our own narrative, we've, we've lost something. Now, it's not something that we can't get back, but we have to work that much harder to escape sort of the grasp of that stuff. And it's very, very real. Like this is, I'm talking at a very theoretical conceptual level, hmm. but I think if you, if you, you know, you do want to go freelance or live some sort of a different alternative lifestyle relative to the one that you went to school for or that your parents expect of you or your spouse. I think, you know, asking yourself or looking inside yourself and saying, what am I telling myself? What story am I telling myself that I could tell a, a, an equally powerful, but a hundred percent different story about my, about the same life and it could be true. And so one story that people tell themselves like, Oh my God, I've got a mortgage. I've got, you know, I'm raising two kids. Um, I'm 38 and who changes careers when they're 38 years old or whatever it is. There's a whole set of stories. Yeah. And I would just encourage you to create a world where those stories aren't actually true or rather think of the, the, an alternative to those stories that are, if you wanted to, would be just as likely a story. Yeah. And that's my, my wife is super supportive of me as a human being. And if she knows that more than anything in the world, I hate my current job or my current career and I want to change that she would support me or that we, you know, I, <clears throat> this money that I make every month, uh, you know, I'm going out to movies and buying furniture and shit that I don't really need because who needs more stuff in the world? And what if I quit that job? I bartended. What was what's the least amount of money that I would you know, I could get by on? And what would I be able to do with all of the rest of my time that's not spent pursuing some bullshit dead end job or some job that it's ultimately not creating sort of fulfillment for me? Yeah. And and trying to tell yourselves or tell yourself or a new story, a story about opportunity and possibility. It's really about like, what's the worst that can happen in those situations. And generally, you know, uh, I'll mention my friend, Tim Ferriss. Um, yeah. Tim has this exercise where he actually visualizes like, what's the worst that can happen? Oh my God, I'm gonna lose my job. Okay. Then what? Um, I'm not gonna have any money. Okay. Then what? And you know, ultimately, the, the percentage of people that were going to end up homeless on the street, it's pretty small because ultimately when shit gets real, you get pretty, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just telling yourself a different story and, and look for low weight ways to incur risk that, you know, for which there, you have some protection on the downside. And that's all I did. I just said, Hey, look at, I'm quitting everything that everybody else wants from me. I'm going to wait tables and I'm going to take pictures. And I talked to my wife. I was like, I don't want to go be a lawyer. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be all this shit. Here's, here's who I really am. And she'd known it, but, and you know, when the people around you, uh, love and trust you, it turns, the tide turns and it, it goes from the story that you were telling yourself to realizing that that's false. And then you've, you've created a small army of people who are close to you that when you've told them what you really want to do and be, there's a level of encouragement. There's just as many hurdles potentially, but you have to start from that place. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, um, I love that you bring up, uh, Tim Ferriss. I I've been following him for, for quite a while in terms of, uh, you know, the, the philosophies that he, he has as well. And, um, uh, yeah, he really, he really tackles, um, 
that that whole idea of um you know what what's what, the worst that can happen what, what's yeah. The, yeah that 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 what's the worst that can happen is such a powerful thing when you really break it down into into practical um practical uh sort of details um and it actually reminds me of something that he's been plugging recently which is um uh the um this script scripture from from seneca and oh, yeah. uh, you you've probably heard him talk about this as well sure read some Seneca myself. Yeah. Ryan Holiday is also a close friend. Yeah. I think Ryan is the one who turned uh, Tim onto stoicism as a practice. That's it. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm getting into it um, very recently because of that. And uh, I've just pulled up something that, uh, that really was just such a simple yet mind blowing um, sort of um, uh, philosophy for me, but um, it's, it's this, any, any, and it says set aside some time each month where you subsist on the scantiest affair, the roughest of dress, asking yourself all the while, is this the condition I so feared? And um, at the time, I think Tim was going on just like a water diet or something um, for like eight days or something crazy. And he was just, he was of course saying, I do not recommend this, but, um, and I think he was saying like he was wearing the same clothes for like eight days straight and like eating a, a tin of tuna and crackers or I don't know, something really like $2, $2 a day worth of food or less. And um, yeah, it was really interesting. You know, it, when you, when you put yourself in that state, it's actually not that bad. What, what he was saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's so. very much about, you know, when I said dropped out of all that stuff and went and walked the earth with my then girlfriend, now wife, Kate, Yeah, we, we were surviving on, I mean, including accommodations, I think 20 bucks a day. And, yeah, you know that's like literally eating a can of beans and a can of tuna fish, and yet we were. It was some of the richest, of course, by other measures than financial. Some of the richest times of my life, mm. certainly the richest to you know at that point. Um, but I, I have such a fond memory of that experience, and I'd never been more poor mm. in my life, and. Again, I, I don't want to oversimplify the context here, but at its at its core, that's that's what I'm asking people to do. When you, your your original question was like, "What about you know all the fear around making these transitions?" Yeah, I think if you build alliances and you're honest with yourself, that what the human being psyche wants is to be on the path to um, to fulfillment, to connection, as I said earlier, and when you're doing things that are out of line with that, um, you can do them temporarily with the mindset of as soon as I get a chance, I can change this. But if you find yourself stuck in that thing, just taking a step back and asking some of these questions that whether it's, you know, Seneca's question or, or some of these, you know, maybe uh, um, more simple versions of those questions, like how can I actually do something different and what's the worst that can happen? Hmm. And it's from, you know, that's where all change comes from that, right? I think we're talking about in terms of my career, but the same is true for folks at home. Like it is possible and you're not going to get there unless you start sort of thinking about the ways that it could be as opposed to the way it can't. Yeah. Awesome. So now let's talk about, uh, we got some heavy shit. There, yeah. Man. Yeah. We got that out of the way. I was going to say, <laughs> I have a breather. Um, all right. So, Let's talk about something else here um, that you are 
also well known for, but that a lot of people that are just kind of tuning into you as of late might not know about, which is in 2009, a year before Instagram, you released a picture editing iPhone app called Best Camera. Um, and some accolades of that at the time include being named a top 20 iPhone app by Wired Magazine and Macworld's Best uh, best Photo App. Um, so many of the listeners have app ideas, I think, or just ideas in general um, in the tech space, especially. How, do you, how did you get yours off the ground? Oh, man. Um... I Cause, think because it was a simple uh, app, right? It, I think it very, had like very 14 filters and, or I don't know, like it was really all pre, pre Instagram. So it was quite, um, yeah. quite simple, but you know, simple is oh, good. At, at its, at its uh, core, I was scratching my own itch. I was taking pictures with my iPhone, all my friends. You got to imagine like my day job basically is traveling all over the world for fortune 100 brands, shooting huge campaigns for the Nikes, the Apples, the Googles, the Samsungs. Um, and what was enamoring me the most was my, you know, version, uh, even before the iPhone, like, like I had Palm Trio, I had a Blackberry, I had like all these things that had shitty little flip phone with a little camera on it. And I was getting as much pleasure from that as I was from all these huge ad campaigns, if not more, because it was so raw, it was so immediate and real and, you know, authentic, just human and had that grit and that texture that I've, you know, I've talked about already. Mm. And so first and foremost, in creating this app, um, I had the idea long before you were able to create apps before the app store was invented, because I was taking pictures and I would, I wanted to share it, but I felt confined because I was doing so much sharing online. You know, Google video had become YouTube, the blogger platform had been launched and I was, you know, writing feverishly there at chasejarvis.com slash blog. And basically creating incidentally, um, just from sharing content, uh, a small army of, you know, say a million people who'd just um, become familiar with my work. And, and this iPhone app idea was brewing. And I just saw the conversion of lighter weight software phones being always with you. You know, the, the, the phrase, this is the, the name of the app, the best camera comes from the adage, the best camera is the one that's with you. Mm. Um, and you know, so repopularize that and I have a trademark to that. And, and it was around that concept of now that we're always going to have this device. And if these devices are connected, you know, photography and the meaning of it can be all that more powerful. And it's the first time where we would be empowered, not by, you know, kept out by gatekeepers, but empowered to take pictures and share our own perspective. So I'm taking pictures and then, you know, fast forward to iPhone one and as you know, apps like Facebook and the photo uh, taking app and whatnot were becoming popularized, I would want to share that stuff and I would have to take a picture in one app and then share it in the Facebook app and then just go to a separate app to Twitter to share that. And it was just, and there was no such thing as adding filters and it was just, it was a very bad experience. Ultimately, I scratched my own itch and I put all that into one app and it was the first app that shared photos to social networks. It did go on to become app of the year for New York, New York times wired. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was long before an Instagram. That's really cool. How I got that started was very, again, very, um, gritty. I, I, I was <laughs> excited. I was scratching my own itch, but I don't know how to build software. I didn't have, you know, a background in coding. 
ultimately ended up finding someone to help me build it, created the vision, drew up a contract and created this app, submitted to the app store. And it was basically instantly went to number one in, in the app store. And um, I learned a lot in that process for sure. Um, yeah. And it was when apps were, were, uh, were I think we made it, ours, ours was three bucks or something like that. And it was fun. You know, and Apple put me on a, a PR tour all over the world because it was, uh, you know, it highlighted a really interesting piece of the future. And ultimately I just saw around the corner just a little bit sooner than most of the other folks, but it, it, um, I knew it was going to be the way that the world, the world was going. Yeah. So I just, again, built what I wanted to have in my pocket. Yeah, that's cool. I think, um, uh, you speak to, uh, I guess the journey of something that is almost underestimated in its effort. Um, because the amount of times I get emails from people going, Hey, Ram, uh, I've got this app idea, dot, dot, dot. And <laughs> I'm just like, hold on, hold your horses a minute. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of work involved and, and, you know, not even just technical. It's like, well, how is it going to fly? You know, is right. it, have you tested this out? Like, you know, on, on the granular scale, like, have you, where, where is this idea come from? And it, and, and it blows me away that some of these ideas are just like, nothing they that they've actually had user experience in um and and there goes that 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 first part right there which is which is that you were scratching your own itch um and then the second part which is you know finding someone that that is capable of doing the technical stuff because most of us are not um you know developers or coders um so i i guess yeah finding that partnership um and then i guess the third part is that you had built a community um where you could once announce it would do all right. I, um, yeah. You, you know. all the, every one of those things, you know, especially looking backwards, uh, was absolutely mission critical and to, to having the success. And you, you know, you take away any one part of that techno place. If it sucks, it's not a good experience and no one's going to like it. Hmm. If I wasn't a photographer for 15 years before then, then I wouldn't have known what I wanted. Hmm. Wouldn't have had great market sensibility. If I wasn't, you know, building cameras and testing cameras with the top manufacturers in the world and a part of the behind the scenes of marketing and creating those products, I wouldn't have had the vision to see what was possible around the iPhone app. If I didn't have a, com you know, a community of a million people at the time, uh, I wouldn't have been, when I put it out in the world, it would have fallen flat. Hmm. And each and every one of those things had its own sort of history behind it. And I say those things not to discourage anyone because you know quite the opposite i'm trying to encourage that th those are random set of backgrounds that, that how you would stumble into each any one of those on their own let alone all of them together uh to prepare me to do the thing that i was you know supposed to do which was create the first iphone app that shared photos to social networks like i wasn't a plan i set out to i was really like had literally with the extra money that i was making photography I was doing very well at the time and I'd built up a staff and a team and went back when everyone was doing independent stuff and I wasn't buying new, you know, fancy houses and cars and couches and shit. I was investing in my photo studio as an incubator and hiring really interesting people to help me think about, you know, new ways to affect, um, you know, not just the photography community, but the world. And, you know, this is one of those ideas that came out of there and just happened to stick. So that's awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah. Every, every one of those ideas is there. Every one of those 
uh, things that you phrased more eloquently than I ever could <laughs> was a requirement for that to be successful. And um, again, I say that not to discourage, yeah, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, trying to say that. Yeah, I mean, even you, that third one, right? Community, like that's that's sure. like you you need a platform with which to launch anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think when people transition that is probably the one that's overlooked the most. I think a lot of people have many ideas. I think that they understand that they can hire the right people, but the community around that product uh, or service is, yeah, it's make or break. So true. And I think that's, a that's you know, if you're looking for a business reason, which is a shitty reason to start community, um, that would be it. But from a human perspective, let's go back to connection, hmm. which is what we opened this podcast with. Yeah the desire to connect and to create community around ideas that you find valuable and things that you want to learn more like that is at the core of all of these things. Like that's how best camera became, you know, into number one in the app store. That's how creative live was started. And Craig and I were tinkering in a shitty little warehouse in South Seattle. It wasn't, you know, I'm sitting in a teeny podcast room and on the first space that we had wasn't much bigger than this. And it was only because we had a community that found that, you know, with aligned interests and that thought that would be interesting that when we put it out in the world, it became successful. And we, we referenced that community. We sought influence and ideas from that community all through the creation of that thing. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it's just, it, none of what I have done, I don't think could have been possible without community. And that's not just online community too. Like you said, knowing, someone who would be a great partner to code this thing or knowing the person behind the photo counter where you'd have your, you used to have your film developed or just, you know, getting like-minded people together, uh, giving energy, contributing to the community as much as you're taking, if not more, those are all at the very, at the very core of, you know, everything that I've done. Yeah. Unreal. So speaking of creative live, now we won't uh, talk about all of what creative live is. Of course, uh, you know, we could be here for days and days, <laughs> um, uh, but th- there is actually one specific area I'd like to talk about, um, on creative live, but before your class, let's talk about that, your class. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Which, which I'm pretty sure everyone knows about now. I've been plugging it like crazy on the, on the podcast, especially in the, uh, I think the first, uh, eight or nine episodes. Um, But uh, look, uh, before I fire off some questions about um, something that uh, I think uh, a lot of people will want to know about, um, if those that are listening have been hiding under a rock, how would you describe Creative Live? And, you know, how how did you and Craig Swanson first start that? Sure. Well, I would describe it um, as the place that will help your dreams in your career dreams in career hobby and life come true and and we help those dreams come true for people because we connect them through our learning platform with the top experts in the world and you know from a little bit of a more pragmatic well what does that mean it's creative live has become the world's largest live streaming education company and we're focused specifically on creativity so teaching people photography video art and design um, music and audio craft and the maker culture and, and then the ability to make a living and a life in all those disciplines. And, you know, at its core, it's a community of like-minded people who are coming together to learn from one another. Uh, and the business opportunity is, is, um, 
it's very simple that there's um, Creative Live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It broadcasts uh, education from the world's top instructors. And anyone in the world can come and watch that for free. Um, that's a way to sort of sample what we have in the, in the offering. And that's by appointment viewing. If you want to own one of those classes and watch it on your own time, or if you are just interested in going right to our catalog, we have 1,500 classes that we've produced specifically custom from the ground up um, with the highest production value in the industry focused on each of these topics and they're taught by the world's top experts. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's basically a learning platform and we want to help give you the things that, you know, the people who are not just thinking about wanting to do it or teaching about it, people have actually lived those lives and built those things or whether it's a product, a service, a, whether a Pulitzer prize winning photographer or, a, you know, an Emmy award winning director, they're teaching at Creative Live. So yeah, like we've had um, uh, Sue B. Zimmerman on the show. We've had Vanessa Van Edwards. And um, uh, I myself, as you mentioned, am, am a Creative Live instructor. Um, but, you know, to be amongst all those that you mentioned, as well as all those that I admire, we, you know, Tim Ferriss, Ramit Sethi, uh, Lewis House. It's amazing. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just a um, few, just a few names, you know. Yeah. Uh, and there's other, <laughs> others, you know, if you want to learn about entrepreneurship, how about from Reed Hoffman who founded LinkedIn, you know, he's a right. multi-billionaire. He's just a, an amazing thinker. You already mentioned a bunch of names. So it's, you know, we don't need to go into a name drop fest, but it's, it is, um, I'm really proud of what we've built. And, and honestly, Ram, I think we're just, we're really just getting our head of steam up. The company's just, you know, just now turned five years old. And for the first couple of those years, it was out of a little, as I said earlier, grimy warehouse in South Seattle. And now we have, you know, full on studios in Seattle and San Francisco. We broadcast all over the world. We reach every country around the world every month. And uh, we've had more than 2 billion minutes now consumed on the platform. So we're just starting to hit scale. And, you know, and we're just, we're continually learning from you know, our students from all over the world. We actually, I want to plug one thing because it's timely. Go for it. Just yesterday, we launched a thing called 28 to Make. And uh, yes, the short version is you just go to creativelive.com slash 28 to make, the number 28-T-O-M-A-K-E. And if you sign up there, what you get is you're joining a community of people who every day receive a little lesson, a little inspirational video that'll say, hey, why don't you go create this today? And there's something very, very simple things. Take a picture of your iPhone around something that's close by or draw the beverage that you're drinking right now. And it's just an act of daily creativity. And it's, we started it yesterday and we've had more than 10,000 people signed up in the first 24 hours. That's incredible. So, yeah, I actually got an email from Lara McCormick about that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's and it's, amazing. So it's just, yeah, it's on product hunt right now. It's just um, blowing up. So it's timely. It'll be going on forever. Um, but you know, you certainly, if anyone, it's a hundred percent for free, you can just take it and you're learning from these people who are amazing. This is a little five minute, you know, thing just dropped in your in inbox in the morning and uh, you can choose to create that. That act of creating something every day mm. has been transformational for me. Um, and it's just a fun global, and then you can search the hashtag to see what people are making every day. It's, it's really, really That's good. Thing. That's good. Anyway, sidetrack. Sorry for the plug, man. I'm just, I'm pumped on that just dropped yesterday. So. No, it's, we, we need that. We need, we need a bit of, uh, you, you know, uh, collective, uh, you know, uh, make, make time. Right. So that's, that's really cool. Um, in terms of scalability, 
which you kind of touched on. That was actually the area that I wanted to to talk about um, next. And uh, regarding Creative Live scalability, so in in 2012, Creative Live raised eight million US in Series A uh, financing. Uh, in late 2013. Um, raised 21.5 million in Series B funding, and at this time the company has reported at having over 2 million users um, participating from over 200 countries. So, what are some practical tips that spring to mind about taking, you know, what was then your first webinars really, um, and growing it into the monster that we we now know today? Um, practical. I'm going to focus on that word. Yeah, practical practical advice to scale. Yeah. The, I think a common, well, there, there are two things I'll start with a common, um, misconception of what it means to build something like that. Um, and then the second is why that thing. So the misconception is that you were able to see all the way to the end perfectly. And that what you, when you took that first step, you, you know, you were just a hundred percent there. And I I don't believe that to be true. It doesn't match my own experience, but we're all just finding our way in the world. And sometimes we only know the next two or three steps, not that, you know, not the next hundred, let alone the next 10 years. So there's this sense of, of, um, a needing to know our sense of, uh, adventure, even in just taking that first step. I think whatever, what's the quote, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And that's all we did. We put one foot in front of the other and we actually did the work. And And I see so many entrepreneurs pontificating, sending me all these ideas about apps. And you already made that joke earlier. <laughs> it's like, great, do something, build a prototype, hmm. build it and ship it and put it out in the world and see what happens. We did that. We cobbled together with duct tape and household bleach and <laughs> not literally, but we, I mean, we cobbled some shit together. Yeah. It was very brutish and we put it out in the world. And it just so happened that the world, the timing was right. Our community was right for this and they embraced it and, and it took off. And we had to listen to them several times throughout the iteration of growing and building and shaping. But we actually did something. And to me, that's one of the things that separates so many people. And there are really talented, smart people who are just constantly stuck in this loop of pontificating about or ideating. And, and I couldn't, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a huge thing is doers do makers make shit shippers ship stuff. And that's the biggest hurdle is taking that sort of first step and actually putting something out there in the world, because there's all the stuff we've talked about earlier. There's fear of failure. There's fear of success. There's the, I can't do it because I have a mortgage and two kids and a blah, blah, blah. And I'm sorry that the universe doesn't really care about that stuff. Mm. And so you have to do the work. Yeah. That's thing one. And thing two, is if you're going to go, if you're going to do work, you might as well do work that's meaningful. And the way I talk about it is by scratching your own itch. If you are looking for some perfect market opportunity, like, oh man, the, the margin on envelopes is going to go way up because no one sends mail anymore. It's all email. So I'm going to go in the envelope making business. Or again, I'm trying to think of something (laughs) unlikely because my goal isn't to disparage anyone who wants to make envelopes, but, um, it's, like when shit gets hard, you need to really care about envelopes because I promise you shit's going to get hard. Creative Live has been through so much um, and we're only five years old and, uh, you know, we're one of those high growth companies that a lot of people write articles about. 
So, you know, what if you're still trying to find product market fit or you're still trying to ideate around this app idea that you've got? You better have stamina. And stamina usually comes around shit that you care about. So if you're scratching your own itch, and by that I mean you're working on something that you personally care about, that you have a disproportionate understanding or a desire to understand, you're going to get energy. And energy is required. Stamina wins. Hmm. And, you know, that's, if you look backwards at what I was doing, it's like I'm combining a life of creativity and my, my career as a professional photographer, my peer group of the, the top photographers and designers in the world and their desire to teach and reach large numbers of people and my, you know, million person at that time audience, like that's just an aggregate of all of the things I wanted to do. And instead of having me at the center of it, I wanted to put a, you know, create a brand where it didn't have my name on the door because everything I'd built to date had that. And so Craig and I, my co-founder got together and put these ideas, um, to work. And, you know, he was testing one aspect of it. I was testing another aspect of it. And we saw that both were working. We put it together and, and launched, launched Creative Live. So yeah, it, it, the practical, I love that you said the practical bits because the practical bits of actually shipping stuff and the practical things of doing the thing that you know, you, you have energy to do rather than market opportunities, all of it sort of came together and, and uh, still I want to acknowledge that a bunch of shit has to happen right hmm. for it to come together like it has for us. But that's all we're all doing is trying to put as many pieces in the right place as we can. Yeah, that's, you know, it's really, really funny because um, the way that you described um, the movement with which you you create the prototype, just get your butt into it and just do it, ship it out there. Um is, is such a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's common sense yet there are so many things that stop people from doing that. Um, and it's funny, the, the, the question, the number one question on my USA speaking tour, when I did 22 cities in three months, um, uh, and ended my tour on, on creative live. But prior to that, I had Q and a in all these different, uh, AIGA chapters, American Institute of Graphic Arts. Yep. And, when uh, it was Q&A time, the question that I got everywhere was, and, and mind you, I was talking about, uh, the book is called How to Get a Job as a Designer. And then the, the talks that I was doing was questioning why you wanted to be a designer. So it was about, you know, starting off in the design industry. And the question that I got was, time and time again, was um, how did you write that book? And how did you get started speaking? <laughs> and I e love it everywhere. So it's it's funny that, isn't it? Because it was really um, similar to to your response. Really, you know, I I found that um, no one else was talking to these points, and I needed a platform to to or a vehicle to voice that. But also, um, people were interested in not just design; they wanted to become entrepreneurs. They wanted to become business people. They wanted to bring value to the world. And, and I ended up saying so simplistically, but I said, if you want to be a writer, write every day. So true. So true. Every single day, I told them for at least 10 minutes a day, at least just write. How good's that? That's the core behind the 28 to make thing. I was just talking to you about a creative lie. That's not like... Yeah, literally why I was so excited about iPhone photography in 2007 
was because it allowed me to easily take pictures every day, every minute. If I saw something interesting, the best camera is the one that's with you. It didn't need to be my, you know, $50,000 Hasselblad or my $8,000 Nikon or these just stupid big professional cameras, two megapixels. And the thing that was on my pocket was just as good because it put me in the habit of making and doing the thing that I wanted to do. And I literally remember specifically going, oh, it's so refreshing this with this iPhone because I know it will never add up to anything. Hmm. Literally. And, you know, when, when, uh, Instagram sold for a billion dollars or when <laughs> any of the numerous times I had people wanting to buy a best camera for, you know, never work again money. I looked at, you know, I looked back at those first steps of like, you know, I, I didn't do it because of the, th- of some sort of market opportunity. Like you said, when you want to write, hmm. then you got to write. And I wanted to take pictures. So this was the easiest way for me to do that, you know, with no friction. Yeah. I think your advice is awesome, Ram. Cool. Love that. And it actually reminds us, all of this reminds me of, uh, you know, what Richard Branson says time and time again, which is say yes first and then figure out how to do it later. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> you just, just got to gotta say yes to these things. I, I, yeah, I'd never written before prior to this. I'd never spoken. And then next thing you know, 10 months later, I'd done 35 events. Um, so <laughs> That's so amazing. Man. I love that. Yeah. And That's it was like, terrifying though, right? It's that, let's not dismiss the fact that it was bloody scary speaking collectively to over 10,000 people. <laughs> I'm, I, I 100% identify with that. Yeah. I 100% identify with the fear. I feel like when people look at you or your success, Ram, they're like, oh man, he you know, is destined for success from day one. And, you know, they think that this just happened in a vacuum. What's not revealed or not shown is that you've been, you know, toiling, writing for, you know, every day for X years in order to create your book. And that the first speaking engagement you did, you were scared to death. (laughs) The third one, you were scared a little bit less. The 10th one, you felt good. And it was really by 20, by number 20, that you were like, you felt like you had the material. Yeah, spot on. Where you wanted. and you know, again, I'm trying to peel back as many layers of the onion and reveal the, the underbelly of what it is that we're trying to do on the other side of success is all of that, that fear and stuff that I think a lot of folks, if you're just getting started on your journey, you know, professionally or entrepreneurially or whatever, you know, there's the belief that those fears aren't built into what we're talking about. Yeah. And just, you should know it absolutely is. Yeah. And still is to this day. So um, that's a nice sort of segue into this other area, which you, you kind of touched on uh, a little bit now, which is um, success. And, and you know, you mentioned that you've you photographed for such big brands, including Volvo, Nike, Apple, Red Bull, and you've even photographed Lady Gaga, to name a few, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, an, a, a, just a, another big name there. <laughs> Um, look, okay. on top of on top of all that and, and your other startups, um, were you prepared for the speed of your success and, and how did you handle it? Um, I don't feel like success. I think I can see the word success and can, you know, positively attribute it into a couple of areas of my life. Hmm. But it really is not till so long after... I think what an external person would consider success that I really acknowledged it because the thing that I'm, I'm not actually seeking success in and of itself. Hmm. It it isn't really, I mean, I'm certainly trying to avoid failure and I certainly 
I certainly like incur failure on a regular basis. So there's the world doesn't see all those miniature cycles. I mean, the world didn't, the world just saw Macklemore quote, come out of nowhere. But you know, I've known Macklemore for 10 years when he was living in his parents' basement mm. and, you know, trying to make music and coming out of rehab. So it, it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I tend not to get preoccupied with success. Um, the speed at which things change, mm. I actually get a lot of energy from that. So I think that's really what I'm seeking is I'm seeking, you know, when you pull on a thread and then you realize that there's a long thread there and there's a bunch of mass behind it and you get to get into that world. To me, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an opportunist uh, in that I, I'm excited when something pops and I can dive into it. But there are plenty of threads that get pulled to which, um, you know, very little ever happens. Um, Oh, in short, yeah, I'm, I'm always surprised at, at success. Um, but I'm not chasing it. What I'm chasing is the things that I want to do and be in the world. I'm chasing curiosity, I think. Um, and when something starts to happen fast, there's more of an enthusiasm and engagement rather than looking out the window at how fast the, the, you know, the, the scenery is passing by. Yeah. There's this quote that I uh, have plastered in my mind, which, which links back to all this. Um, and I always, uh, you know, keep close to my heart, which is, uh, don't aim to make a million dollars, aim to help a million people. Um, and it's, it's such a, such a, a tr- there's such a trueness and, and a sincerity to that. Um, and it really kind of has helped me with my decisions, um, you know, in, in big or small, um, on my, uh, career endeavors or personal endeavors. I love it. I love it because there's a certain selflessness at the center of that. Um, You know, scratching your own itch is not about being selfish. It's about knowing that if you have this problem, Hmm. chances are there are millions of people who have that problem too, because in the particular lies the universal. That's why stories are sticky. People tell stories. Stories are about very particular thing. No one tells a story about all of the people. They tell a story about Joe or about, you know, Samantha. And in Samantha's story of struggle or whatever, we can sort of envision ourselves or our loved ones living that same life. And, you know, that's that when you're when you're taking care of the thing that's a problem for you, it's it's chances are a problem for lots of other people. Yeah. Get, getting that wrong can can mean an, an idea that you, you make something great and just people don't recognize it. But um more often than not, I feel like there's this, a universality to, uh, to what it means to be human. That's cool. Um, so let's talk about awards for a little bit. You know, you're the youngest person to be named Hasselblad Master, Nikon Master, ASMP Master, uh, and won an International Photographer Award amongst others. What advice can you give to those listeners looking to perhaps get some awards under their belt? I think the uh, the whole award thing is uh, it's interesting. I don't I don't really have a, a point of view that I think is going to make a deep impression on your readers, but or your listeners. But um, I think there's a place for them. Uh, the way that I looked at awards was more I, I looked at it more from a community standpoint, 
And, you know, sure, I would be happy to win something, but it was just an opportunity to put work out in the world. And, Hmm. you know, awards for me, uh, some of those awards were, they found me and gave me those awards. Some of those were awards that I said, like, I want to be considered for this award. Hmm. Um, But what I was really always chasing is the ability to connect with other people in my community. And, um, and, you know, and to distribute my work, you know, that was the, one of the things that. Yeah. And I guess the internet, awards do have this sort of uh, currency, don't they? Like, yeah, they do. Of, and, and yeah. I think there's a, certainly an upside, you know, from that currency. Although I think, um, there's more, uh, there's more perceived upside than actual, <laughs> um, again, if you look at it, you know, you just use the million dollars versus million people thing. If you look at the opportunity to win an award as to put your work out there along with your peers and sort of help understand where you stack up or to participate in a community. If you become a winner, then you can talk to other people about their experience. And um, certainly there's some upside, but you know, it's the first time in the history of the world with the net that we don't require permission from anyone to distribute our work. We can hit publish on a free blog that start, starts, you know, today or Twitter, Facebook, you know, Snapchat, YouTube, whatever. Those are, if you have a computer and access to the internet, those are free services. Hmm. Um, earlier, like one of the reasons that awards were interesting to me is because, you know, most of those awards came at a time where the internet and specifically the photography community was quite young and sophomoric and there wasn't a lot happening. It was just starting to happen. Flickr was a thing. Um, YouTube had just started and you know, that was when I was more focused on awards, but again, not for the accolade in and of itself, more for the ability to participate in the community. And that's what you, you have to do that. I mean, you have to participate in your community and you can either do so begrudgingly or you can do so with open arms and, and as someone to try and facilitate that. And I would encourage the latter. It's always, it's always been really helpful in my mind. And the awards will come. I mean, certainly you have to apply for some of those things. And so going through the, the motions and, you know, they're not cheap. Some of those things are like 20 bucks, a yeah. 20 bucks for a submission and you want to put it, turn in 10 things. So, you know, it can make a dent in your, in your rent, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good insight. I, I, yeah. I think that's, there's some insight there. I'm, you know, I've, I've, uh, been lucky enough to, to win some of those things, but it wasn't, it wasn't a dedication. It wasn't in and of itself. Yeah, nice. Uh, so a few more questions now for you, Chase. Um, this one I ask most of my guests, and it is, if you could travel back in time for just 30 seconds and speak to Junior Chase, perhaps the youngster finishing high school, what would you tell him? I would tell <laughs> youngster Chase to meditate. Ah, very good. And, um, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to appear to be trendy or whatever, but of the, of the handful of things that have been really sort of like, wow, that moment in time, or that was a big milestone or marker, just, just meditating has become a, just a huge part of, um, my life, my sanity. I think my professional success as well. It's like, it's been a game changer for me. I've been doing it for another four for something years now. What what type of uh, meditation do you do, Chase? Or do you use uh, you know yeah, a particular do, app? I, or do you yeah? Yeah, I think anything is a, a 
better than doing nothing. My particular sort of, I've done a lot of different types and I landed on transcendental meditation. Um, that's where, where I find the most comfort. Um, but anything, you know, apps like Headspace or, or, uh, insight meditation or awareness practice, all that stuff is, I think there's just a huge, and then the science is starting to come around to say, holy shit, you know, meditation is, is a huge thing. And I was talking to, you know, mentioned Tim Ferriss earlier, something like, I don't know, some huge ridiculous proportion of the people who've been on his podcast, you know, some really, really successful people find, you know, meditation as a part of their daily routine. And, yeah. you know, again, I don't want to be overly salesy on this, but that's what I would tell my younger self for sure. Cause it's been so meaningful. Uh, and I did, I got benefits as a young kid. I was in sort of some sports psychology stuff around my soccer and, and football. But um, as an adult, it's just been a game changer for me. Yeah. Love it. Um, so with, uh, uh, with all that, actually, um, I was just kind of mid thought on, on what I do actually. It's uh yeah. I, share. I, I, like I, I feel like, look at, I got a show where I interview people too called chase Travis <laughs> live. And I'm, I'm being so patient and well behaved here. I want to ask you like 50 questions about all this shit for you. You know, that's hilarious. I don't know if your, your readers know that about you. What, what did you, what's your answer to that question? What do you, just, what do you tell gonna, your younger self? I was just going to say like, I, it's funny. I'd never been asked that question. Although I asked that question to everyone else. Um, yeah. Meditation is, yeah. I'd never gotten that answer from any other guests, which is interesting because, um, uh, I've implemented that yeah after high school as well. And it's something that I probably could have benefited from way earlier on, um, you know, to just be more mindful. Um, you know, things that I use in particular, are the five minute journal, um, in the morning and at night, which, uh, I know Tim Ferriss uses as well. Um, and I use an app called calm. Um, I have, uh, tried headspace as well, which is cool. Um, but it's really just finding small blocks of time to also get out into nature as much as I can. Mm. Um, and, and even if it's just a quiet walk, um, to myself and just having that block of time, getting the blood flowing, getting some fresh air in my lungs, getting some vitamin D from the sun, um, you know, just being, being present in my breath, um, and, and my body, um, which a lot of the times, as we know, in the fast paced lifestyle of whether it be photography or working with clients or advertising or design, whatever, it's like life or death deadlines, you know? So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you have to actually schedule it in. If you don't schedule it in, it doesn't get done. Um, yeah, a little little diversion. I I was part of a keynote yesterday where I was in front of five thousand people, and um, literally as I was about to walk on stage, <clears throat> I you know I had this very very uh, and this is the kind of thing that meditation brings. It's like you know, and I was I I enjoy being in front of people. I am naturally an extrovert, although I have some introverted tendencies, but. I was feeling this great amount of energy and it was all very, very positive. Like, okay, you know, there's a little bit of anxiousness in there, but <laughs> just excitement and enthusiasm. And then there's that great line that's only present now because I have a solid meditation practice is like, enjoy this and whatever happens out there is what's going to happen and enjoy it. I mean, it's just like this great little loop. Right. <laughs> and, and it was just so, it's so calming and you yeah. can look at it for what it is. Like, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to be a career changer. The worst, you know, like go back and ask all these questions we've talked about in the podcast. Like what's the worst that can happen? And 
it just it it just it just simplifies so many things for me. Like urgency is usually not urgent. Um, yeah, you know, pain generally speaking is temporary. And you know, oh, there's a million sayings I could have, but ultimately, like it's just it's such so grounding and simple. Like you said, getting out in nature. Nature's so awesome, <laughs> especially in New Zealand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our our uh, our oh. ri- our friendly rival neighbors oh, um, in in Sydney no. show here. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, on top of your uh, diversion there, linking to that, um, I was just thinking um, when I was about to go on the creative live stage, I actually was in the room and go and you know just looking at the clock, going, "Oh my god, three minutes left." And, um, I'd been told that there were like over 5,000 or 6,000 that have RSVP'd. And then there's usually, you know, double that, that come on, that just tune in without RSVPing as well. So, um, and then end up being like, you know, close to 10,000 or more (laughs) along that mark. And just the thought of that, of like 10,000 faces, um, you're in the middle of a stadium, right? Yeah, exactly. And, um, the, the one thing that I, um, used to calm me down was the thought of, uh, don't aim to be good, aim to be useful. And, and that totally diminished my anxieties. Um, and I, I'd done a lot of events prior to that, but, but that took the attention away from me. How do I look? How does my voice sound? You know, what are they going to think about this scarf I'm wearing? Should I take it off? Like, do I look like an idiot? You know, how am I going to sound? Am I prepared enough? Well, I think, um, yeah, it, it, it it is very much about them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think going into, you know, you were just saying you were, did a keynote yesterday for all those listeners that maybe want to get into speaking or, or just want to pitch better to uh, potential clients or whatever it is. Um, I think, yeah, that's, it's, it's such an important thing to enjoy it and to remember that they're there because you can give them value to some, you know, shape or form in their lives. So that's really cool. Um, Likewise, man. And, and you, your class was fantastic. Like the energy that you brought, that's, we're all, we're all trying. No one intends to be sucky or whatever. We're all, you know, we're all out there hustling and trying to put our best foot forward. Your class was awesome. Um, I'm grateful that you did it. And I think your point to your listeners about enjoying it and being present is it's super powerful medicine, man. It's really, uh, we're, we're talking about it so simply, um, but it's powerful stuff. I really appreciate that, Chase. Thank you so much. And you know, what people might not know is that um, Lara McCormick, and uh, so she is the, uh, for those of you that don't know, she's the head of design um, channel in uh, San Francisco office there in Creative Live, and the amazing Michael Kash, mm-hmm. who was my producer, he was just world class in yeah. in getting me into a position of readiness. Um, and just for for a bit of background, you know, coming from an instructor's experience on Creative Life, we had prepared five or six months before and would have weekly meetings. Like yep. that's how much preparation goes into these classes. So when Chase talks about world-class experts, we don't just, you know, potentially just get there. And, and you know, for me to even be part of that, those terms, world-class is, is, is mind-boggling for me, but, but, but oh, you're it, there, it, take, man. it takes a ton of work 
a yeah. ton of hustle, a ton of, you know, long hours. And, and it, it really is why the, the standard is what it is. Well, thank you for acknowledging that. And especially those people, um, you know, both Laura and Michael, um, they are amazing in and of themselves. And it, like Creative Live, the people who work here and there's just this insane level of commitment. Oh man, even even from like the the catering for lunch, the the camera crew, the um, you know, every detail was like everyone is you've built a culture of just you, you know, what you see from the host is is sort of that's just the 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 beginning of the iceberg, you know. It's <laughs> it's like everyone is is so welcoming and and mate, it's it's unreal. I really oh, it's yeah. super super fun. That that that's music to my ears, and that's you know we can't choose so many things in this world. We can't choose the weather, the market conditions. There's so many things we can't choose, but we can choose, generally speaking, how we spend our time. Yeah, and spending time working with great people is that's been a, a priority for me. Yeah. So a couple questions left now for you, Chase. Um, sure. Who who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? Uh, perhaps that that person that's inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in in helping you reach your full potential. Oh man. Uh, a couple go for it. People yeah. at different different ends of the spectrum. Well, um. For one, my parents, you know, they've been very influential to me in, in ways that are not specific, but in, in very, very general ways, like just, there's been a sort of a constant support there. Um, and I'm, I'm reluctant to name, you know, fancy pollutant stars because I will confess that I've always taken more inspiration from, you know, um, people that are that are just hardworking have this grit and you know whether it's the neighbor who's building his own house mm-hmm. um or you know i mentioned my my parents my dad you know went to work worked crazy i worked from 3 a.m to 11 a.m every day as a cop so that he could you know be around for my soccer games and whatnot and to my mom on the flip side who when my dad was working those crazy hours wasn't you know was a, a solo parent my parents were together but when he's working those wacky hours so they just they they did a lot to um make make my my existence possible mm-hmm. um and that's inspirational at a very very simple level um awesome. on the other end and this is a completely different sort of even frame of reference for the answer but for those artists specifically in New York in the 60s and 70s, um, I'd say maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, a little bit of the 80s. And these are people like Jean-Michel Basquiat, Andy Warhol, Robert Rauschenberg, Jim Dine, um, Jasper Johns. That There was this sense, and I've drawn so much inspiration from this group. And notice they're not photographers. Mm. Um, but there's this desire to, while you're doing something, to sort of reinvent or have a conversation about the thing you're doing. And, and when, again, I can look backwards, connecting the dots, that's what I've been trying to do with photography. Like there's always this sabotage is the wrong word, but sort of this 
trying to reinvent photography while we were living it and bringing, say, you know, the best camera is the one that's with you, that, that, that this little device was going to be a game changer and trying to get the world to rally around it. Um, in the face, frankly, I was, you know, vilified for that for years before <laughs> it ever became really popular and neat. I bet. Um, but you know, just the unexpected and, and, you know, someone like Jean-Michel Basquiat taking the, you know, the street art scene and, and following his love and, and having it end up in galleries and, and museums, you know, sometimes, you know, with his blessing, other times without it. But the work that he was doing was so authentic. Warhol from a very opposite end of the same spectrum, you know, commercializing intentionally, um, not, you know, um, art in a way that just usurp the traditional view of what art was. Um, I, I just have a huge sense of, uh, respect for someone who's willing to have that voice to follow their core and to, um, be different, not just better. Mm. I think that's, you know, that's at the core of it is, is be different, not just better. Cause anyone can aim to run faster or jump higher or take a better picture or, but are you going to do it authentically from who you are or is there going to be some sort of a, you know, layer of manufacturer built in there? Mm. So, Unreal. um, and it's just, there's so much practicality and it sounds highfalutin, but there's just like, just follow the thing that's right in front of you that those artists did. So there, there's a couple, Yeah, those, those folks have been influential. Um, my parents, my wife, my God, my, my wife has made so many things possible for me. I wish you guys, I wish Kate was on the podcast. Kate is awesome. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> we need to know more about her, I think as well. Kate, yeah. yeah, she, yeah. The, the woman behind the man. Oh man. And she's like, she would, this was her, uh, room 101 would be in front of 5,000 people. That'd be her terrifying <laughs> moment. But, uh, <laughs> she, she's incredible. But thank you for the, for that question. You know, I don't know. What, what about you? Do you have That's a, cool. do you have a go-to answer? I, Cause I don't have, I don't have. Yeah, um, my, well, mine's yeah, mine's pretty similar. Um, parents, for sure, for sure. I mean, they have paved the way. Um, you know, little tidbit on me. Or basically, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I remember. I think it would have been about um, five or six years old, and and we obviously didn't have iPads or anything back then. So it was just like me getting empty empty toilet paper rolls and empty tissue boxes, and me trying to build robots. Um, and you know, my my mum was saying. And asking me, hey, Ram, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was just, you know, half attention to her, half attention to my my cardboard boxes, and and saying, oh, I don't know, I just want to make stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and and she said, okay, well, that's cool. Well, whatever you whatever you you decide to do, make sure you dream bigger, much much bigger. Wow. And and mind you, you know, um, coming from a Filipino background and all that, and and you know, my folks living in the Philippines, growing up there, having you know, a tablespoon of peanut butter for th- for the day and a little piece piece of bread um, was was their food for the day growing up. And mum was one of five, dad's one of eleven. So you know, there's that whole story there. But um, you know, that really shaped shaped me. And and there comes my values based on the foundations that they passed on. So love it, yeah, man. Um, so last question here uh second last question actually what's next for you chase and everything you're involved in this year especially and obviously the next couple years ahead 
uh, I'm continuing to focus on on Creative Live and trying to add value to as many as many people's lives as possible. I, I the the scale and opportunity of helping people um, learn real skills that are that they're going to put into practice in their life to live their dreams and their fears and their um, you know, and hobby and, and life and career like that has, I've, I derive so much energy from that, that I can't see, um, that taking a backseat to anything. And, you know, at the core of that is still practicing my art, staying, staying true to my craft as a photographer. Um, I'm, I'm continuing to shoot, but on a very, very, um, particular basis, maybe one campaign, a quarter or one fine art commission, but just trying to help you know, give people the ability to fish instead of handing them a fish. Mm. I, I think it's maybe is the analogy um, and help, help because there's so many, like imagine a world and where everyone was doing the things that they were put on this earth to do. Right. Exactly. Like there, there are people who want more than anything to be the thing that you don't want to be, whether it's a bookkeeper or a, a fence builder or a, uh, a boat mechanic. Like there are people who would love to do that and imagine what kind of world if, because there are so many people, at least in my circle and my sphere and my personal experiences that are doing things that they weren't put on this earth to do. Um, hmm. So helping people find, like realize, understand first of all, and then realize those dreams is that's what creative live is about. So I intend to put a ton of energy into creative live. Um, and uh, that's certainly the near term. Awesome. And to, I guess, ongoing is just the ability to just you know to always be open to learning to lifelong learning is at its core uh and will always be for me unreal that's uh exciting as well isn't it um you know having that having that with you <laughs> i'm learning every day man it's so fun to come to work with people who are much smarter than me and and trying to you know learn and rally and inspire and stumble and get up and go do it again like yeah. I'm, I have a lot of energy right now. It's, it's good. Uh, it's good. Yeah, it is good, man. So how can listeners get in touch with you online? Um, I'm pretty much just slash at Chase Jarvis on most stuff, whether Facebook or Twitter I'm at Chase Jarvis. Uh, my Snapchat's kicking in here pretty soon. Uh, next week, I think I'm going to start <laughs> putting myself out there. My YouTube channel, uh, slash Chase Jarvis. I put fresh videos out every week. Um, one big thing is, is a, uh, uh, a weekly email that I put together that a lot of people get. And I, I curate that very carefully and a lot of very exclusive content goes there. And that's, you can go to my blog, which is chasejarvis.com slash blog. And it'll be a little pop up there. You can put it in the sidebar. Um, I take that stuff really seriously. There's zero spam ever. Um, I hope that you can find me if I, if you can't find me, and you know how to spell my name? I'm doing something wrong, man. <laughs> I'll put uh, all I'll put all the links up um, for uh, sure. That's super Easy. gracious. And, and again, Creative Live to me. If you guys, um, even you know, in front of my personal social channels, like again, the ability to learn from Ram, you know, or any of the names that we've dropped in this podcast, the Tim Ferriss, the Remeets, the folks that people who listen to this, all the designers, the top, you know, top folks. Um, that it's really. Uh, it's hard to describe how powerful learning new skills can be. They can really be life changers and game changers for somebody. So please do check that out. And 
if you want to make something every day, join us at, at, uh, at uh, 28 to make. So we're having a good time with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, everyone should definitely check all that out. I will put all of the links in. We're ending on a super high note. Chase, thank you so much for spending your precious time with us on the Giant Thinkers podcast. Uh, you're an inspiration to all of us and I wish you continued good health, happiness and success, my friend. Ram, thank you so much for having me uh, and including me in your community. I'm grateful, man. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Oh my goodness, what an episode. I hope you enjoyed that humble and inspiring conversation with Chase as much as I did. Feel free to send him some love on Twitter. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you. I want to mention that this episode is sponsored by our wonderful friends at Pro Camera. In our lives where mobile photography happens all day on the go, there is an app called Pro Camera that will ramp up the quality of your photos like no other. National Geographic chose it as one of eight must-have travel apps and Forbes selected it as one of the best iPhone camera apps in 2014. I can't recommend it enough as it allows you to go beyond the limits of the iPhone hardware. Uh, my favorite features are the Low Light Plus in-app tool, which makes it easy to still get a beautiful shot when the lighting isn't in your favor. And of course, there's the Vivid HDR feature, which has a wider dynamic range than iPhone's default app. Check it out by heading to giantthinkers.com slash pro camera. It's priced at just under $5 USD with in-app purchases from $1 to $3. It will honestly pay itself off for you and raise the game in your mobile photography with this state-of-the-art technology. Once again, download it at giantthinkers.com slash pro camera. For our next guest, he is a health and fitness personality who is not only a motivational speaker, fitness model champion, cover model, and personal trainer, but also an inspiring entrepreneur and even has a full-time job uh, at a well-known brand as an account executive. We dig deep on this next episode on his mission to help over 10,000 people. So look out for that one. Two quick last shout outs, guys. Please head to giantthinkers.com slash podcast review to let me know how you enjoyed this episode and any of the previous episodes it'll take you to itunes as always the reviews help enormously to keep this show going the second thing is that sometime this year i'll be launching my next book titled how to get a mentor as a designer guaranteed so if you'd like to be informed about that enter your email at giantthinkers.com slash mentor so go to giantthinkers.com slash mentor. It'll give you an email opt-in and I can let you know when the launch of that will happen. Until next time, guys, here's a quote from Chase worth pondering. He said, imagine a world where everyone was doing the things that they were put on this earth to do. 